This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Rusty Gray and Toya Christian Fellowship. For more information, visit tcfministries.org. First thing I want to ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? Now, I know I'm talking to the choir, right? And we we don't have a choir, but you're the choir, right? Uh, What does that mean? Well, pastor, of course I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm here, aren't I? Okay, the roads are icy, it's cold, it's snowy. I, I came, I'm here. Okay, and, and I told you, it's easy to even dismiss the question, right? Uh, are, am I a follower of Jesus? Well, if I wasn't a follower of Jesus, I wouldn't be here. But let me clarify. Here's what I'm not asking. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you own a Bible. I'm not asking if you've repeated a prayer. I'm not asking you if you're a Facebook Christian. Let's let that soak in. I'm not asking you for a Facebook Christian. I'm not asking you if you're a volunteer at church. And we have the best volunteers there are, and I thank God for them. But I'm not asking those questions. What if the question, are you a follower of Jesus? What if all of your life comes down to this one question, and how you answer it determines your eternity? Now, the premise of the book is this. Are you a fan Or are you a follower? And that's going to be the premise of this series for the next four weeks. The premise of the book and of the life group. And here's the very first thing I want to do. The very first thing I want you to do is think about your relationship with Jesus. And let's take a minute and define that relationship. If you're married, if you've been married, if you've ever dated, if you've ever had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know in those relationships that point came where you had to define the relationship. When Vicki and I began to date, my mother worked with her at a job and my mother brought her home to meet me. And she wasn't Jewish, but she was like any good Jewish mother. She's trying to get me off the payroll and out of her refrigerator. So she brought Vicki over to the house to meet me. And uh, I was immediately moved uh, with all kinds of emotions when I saw her. I can tell you exactly what she was wearing, but I won't do that. Uh, I know what she was wearing, and I can tell you exactly that whole story down to the last detail because it's in my heart and in my mind. But we begin to date, okay? And as we dated, you know how when you've dated, if you ever have, it's very casual, it's very low-key. Uh, but our relationship was pretty short. We only dated about three months before we got married, okay? And in one of our early dates, I asked her, and I can, I can tell you, we were at uh, the Canyon E-Way in Western in Amarillo, Texas, and I was turning to get on the service road to get on the Canyon E-Way to take her home, and I asked her this question, what are you going to do with your apartment when you get married? Well, we were still pretty casual. We weren't, you know, we weren't serious or anything. I hadn't popped the I love you thing yet. And she told me later, she said, I never, ever had had a boy at a date ask me what I was going to do with my apartment when, when I got married. But you see, here's what I was doing. I was wanting to define our relationship. You see, I was 21 years old, and I wasn't looking for recreational dating. I wasn't looking for a casual relationship. I was on the hunt for a wife, Okay. Uh, seriously, I wanted to get married, and I, I wanted to get married. I wanted to have my own home and have a wife, and I mean, I had some plans, and so I'm thinking, man, let's get on with this. If you're not the one, well, then I need to move on to plan B and start looking for the right one, but thank God she was the one, amen? You could have amen way better than that, amen? all right? But well, here's what I did. I was defining our relationship, and it went from casual to being serious. Now, here's what I want to ask you this morning. Is your relationship with Jesus exclusive 
or is it a casual weekend thing? Now, when Vicki and I dated pretty quickly, we got engaged, and our relationship became exclusive. You know what happens when you get married? Uh, you don't date around once you're engaged, right? You don't date around once you're married. I mean, if I told Vicki, hey, I'm going to be with you Monday through Friday, but on the weekends, I'm going to have some other casual relationships, well, you'd see my picture in the paper where I was murdered and my body had not been found, and the police dogs were looking for me, right? We all know that doesn't work. Okay, but here's what happens. We want to do that very thing to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I want to have this casual, no-strings-attached relationship with you, but then throughout my week and throughout the rest of my life, I want to do my own thing. All right, let me, let me give you a definition of what a fan is. We're talking about this morning, if you're a fan or a follower, a fan is an enthusiastic admirer, an enthusiastic admirer. Listen, Jesus has lots of fans. Church is full of fans of Jesus but there are few followers. Here's the difference. A fan knows all about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. You see, fans want to be close enough to Jesus for the benefits, right, but not so close that it requires anything of them. You see, one of the things that fans do is they make cultural comparisons, and I've done it, and we've all done it. What's a cultural comparison? Well, I base my Christianity on the curve. Have you ever gone to college, and you know when you'd go to class, and they would grade on the curve, and what that meant was is the guys like me who didn't study and prepare would maybe pass because, uh, you know, they curved your grade. Okay, well, we do the same thing sometimes as Christians. We compare ourselves, right? And we think, well, hey, you know, I mean, my, my neighbor's son, you know, he's on K2, and and, and my, my son, you know, he's in the ministry, so we're better than they are. Or, you know, hey, uh, you know, the, the guy I work with, his daughter's had a baby and she's not married. And, you know, that hadn't happened to my family. And so, you know, we're, we're doing better than they are. We, we cultural compare, right? Well, I'm not as bad as this person or, you know, I'm not as bad as that person. Okay, but here's the thing with that. What's wrong with that is Jesus never asked us to do that, okay? And, and we're not doing it this morning. You see, the culture I live in are my neighbors. They're not the standard. Your neighbors are not your standard. You see, the standard is Jesus Christ, right? He's the standard, not my neighbors. So I'm, I'm not going to use cultural comparison. Now, I want to read a story to you out of John chapter 3 this morning, and I'm going to talk about Nicodemus. Now, many of you have probably heard this story. It's where Jesus asked Nicodemus, Nicodemus asked Jesus, you know, what do I need to do? And he said, you must be born again. That's a very famous portion of scripture. And we use it, preachers use it to talk about how you need to be born again. And we believe in that here at the church, that you need Jesus as your savior. But this is a very powerful story. And I'm gonna show you three different steps this morning in the life of Nicodemus and how he went from being a follower. He went from being a admirer to, from, from being a fan to being a follower. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Nicodemus, okay? He's a Pharisee. Now, in the Jewish time when Jesus lived, the temple was big and powerful, and there was a ruling body in that temple called the Sanhedrin, and there were 72 members. They were like the religious government. It would be like a Senate or a Congress, okay? And you know, senators in our country, they have power. Congressmen have power. Well, the Sanhedrin had power, and they could, they could even put you to death. They, they handled religious law. They handled all kinds of things. Okay, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and he's part of this Sanhedrin, all right? And here's what I want you to understand. He's worked his whole life to get where he is, and he has influence, he has authority, and he has reputation. And and I'm not saying he's a bad guy. He's a good guy, but he's worked all of his life to get where he is. All right, let me read you the story. 
It says there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. I just explained that. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, which means teacher. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Something is stirring in Nicodemus. He's recognizing Jesus for who he is, just like in that time in your life when you found out about Christ and you recognized it. Jesus said or replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Now, here's what I want you to see in this story. Nicodemus is ready to take his relationship with Jesus to the next level. And it's never easy. You see, he's a religious leader. They don't know anything about Jesus. They don't care anything about Jesus. He has power. He has prestige. He has authority. But something's drawing him to Jesus Christ, just like it happened to you or it is happening to you. He had to think about his position and his reputation. And here's the thing. It's easier to be a secret admirer. Now, here's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're going to have to choose between religion and a relationship with me. Listen, religion always gets in the way of Jesus. Now, let me explain to you what I I mean by that. Pastor, what are you saying? What's religion? Well, that's where we all kind of have this shared group of ideas and values, and it doesn't matter what name's on the door, okay? I'm, I'm not against any church or any group. That, that's not what, it doesn't matter what's on the door, but what happens is we get in this group of people, and everybody wants to be liked, and everybody wants to be a part, so we kind of look alike, we kind of dress alike, we kind of talk alike, we kind of take on the same values, and we kind of have our rules and our guidelines, you, you know what I'm talking about, and then we all kind of flow along in this group, and we want to stay in step with everybody, and we, we even kind of vacation with some of these folks and we eat dinner with them and hang out with them after church. Yeah, you can be religious and be in church, but if you dare speak up, if you dare break the code, if you dare speak out against something that somebody doesn't like, well, what, what's it do? Well, it can get you into trouble. Listen, religion always gets in the way of Jesus. Now, here's what happens. Nicodemus comes at night, and it's easy to miss that. But here's what I want you to see. Why did he come at night? Well, you know why he came at night. He didn't want anybody to know. He didn't want any of his buddies down at the club, okay? You know, they were in the Sanhedrin together. They were probably all members of the same country club. They played golf together. They ate steak dinner together. They hung out with their wives together on Friday night. And he didn't want any of his buddies to know, hey, I'm thinking about maybe hooking up with this Jesus guy. So it says that he came to him at night. And here's what happened. See, fans are happy to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't require significant change in my life. Now, if you don't get anything out of this morning, I don't want you to miss this right here. There's no way to follow Jesus without him interfering with your life. Not he wants to interfere with your life. This brings up a telling question that I asked myself, and I want to ask you, has following Jesus cost you anything? Because see, if you're a fan, if you're a secret admirer, if you follow from a distance with no strings attached, then there's usually not very many repercussions. But if you step out of the shadows, out of the dark and into the light, like Nicodemus is going to do, and I'm going to show it to you, and you say, no, no, as for me and my house, we're going to follow God, and I'm going to be a follower, well, it's going to cost you something. Let me tell you a personal story in my life. When I was a kid growing up, 
My grandfather had heart trouble. My mom's dad, when he was a young man, he had heart trouble back when they didn't really know a lot about it. And he carried that little tiny little bottle. It was kind of an amber-colored little bottle, and it had nitroglycerin tablets in it. And he carried it. He was a carpenter. And he worked on houses, and he would be at work working on a house, and he'd have chest pains, and he would get down off the roof or off the wall, wherever he was, and he would go lay down in the garage on the floor, and he would take one of those tiny nitroglycerin tablets until the pain began to go away in his chest, and then once it would go away, he would get up and he would go back to work. Well, one day he had a terrible heart attack, and so they took him in emergency, and they took him to a hospital in Amarillo, and I'm just a kid, and our family gathers, my mom, it's my mom's dad, my papa, that's what I called him, and, and my dad, and we're all there together in this little waiting room. Well, it was Spartan. Now, what do you mean by Spartan, Pastor? You know, hospitals back in those days weren't decorated. The lights weren't well. You know, it was very Spartan. There was hard furniture and tile floors, and it smelled like alcohol. And we're in this waiting room, and they're coming in to talk about my grandfather. And up against one side is a little bathroom. Now, it wasn't like a bathroom today. It was one of those little, I call, I know I hate to say this, but it was a one-holer, okay? You know, it was like there was one toilet and one sink. I guess we'd call that maybe a half bath today, but it was just big enough to go in and close the door. And it was unisex, okay? You know, men used it and women used it. You know, one of those restrooms that ladies don't want to go into because guys have been in there. Well, my dad went into that restroom and he closed the door and he got down on his knees. Now, this is a tile floor in a public restroom. He got down on his knees and he used that toilet as an altar and he prayed that my grandfather would live. Now, not his dad, his wife's father, his father-in-law, my papa, and my family made fun of him. My family mocked him because he prayed for my grandfather. He dare pray, not privately. You know what I'm saying? Where nobody knows it. Now, I'm not saying you have to, every time you pray, somebody has to see you. Don't misunderstand me. And he closed the door. He didn't do it for that reason. But it cost him something. Now, he wasn't put in front of a firing squad, and I'm not insinuating that today, and I I don't want that to happen to me or to you, but it cost him something, even within his own family, when when he said, uh, you know, I'm going to pray, and I, I, I want Jesus to touch my family. Now, here's what happens to us. You see, we come to God, and we think, hey, God, I need a tune up, and Jesus says, no, you need an overhaul. We come to God and say, hey, Lord, can you do a little redecorating in my life? And he says, no, I think we better knock out some walls and do some remodeling. Or we come and say, hey, Jesus, would you inspire me? I need to be inspired, man. And I I love being inspired. I, I want that to happen every time you come in here. But, you know, I come to church and I want you to inspire me. And Jesus says, I don't want to inspire you. I want to disrupt you and I want to change you. Now, the man that wrote this book tells a story about how he was pastoring a church and, and a guy sent him a message, email, I think, and said, I'm not coming to your church anymore because I don't like your messages. Well, it's the quickest way to hurt a pastor is do that, okay? Now, I'm so grateful for those of you who come up after church, and many of you do, and you say, Pastor, that was good, and that ministered to me, and I'm always appreciative of your kind words. You know, if you want to really get to a pastor, say, man, you know, you didn't preach very good today. So this guy's bugged by it, of course, so he decides to call the guy on the phone. He didn't know him. And he called him and said, hey, this is, you know, this is Pastor so-and-so, and and I got a message from you that you didn't like my sermons, and I just wondered why. And he said, well, he said, it's not that I don't like your sermons. He said, it's just that every time I come to church, I feel like you're trying to interfere in my life. And he was driving. He said, I almost wanted to pull over and jump out of the car and start running around and hollering. 
because he was so excited because he said, I'm doing exactly what God's called me to do. You see, Jesus wants to interfere in your life. And see, here's what happens to us, and I've done it. I've given Jesus my heart, okay? I've, I've given it to Vicky too, but I've given it to Jesus, right? Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior. And I invited him in, and I know many of you have invited him in. But then here's what happened to us. When I gave Jesus the key to my heart, it wasn't the master key. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, there's rooms in our heart that we keep locked up and Jesus doesn't have access to. One of the rooms is the money room. Lord, you can't have access to my money. Uh, another one is my marriage. Lord, you know, I, don't, I can't let you in that room. Another one's work, your job. Now, Lord, I, I can't let you in that room. Uh, another one's your kids. No, now, Lord, my, my kids belong to me. They don't belong to you. I can't let you in that room either. Ah, you know, Lord, my relationships, I, you know, we've got all these rooms in our lives that we keep Jesus away from. And what happens to us is we end up being fans instead of followers. So that's exactly what's going on with Nicodemus, see? He comes to Jesus at night and he's a religious leader and he's worked hard his, all, his whole life and he has title and he has permission and position and, and he has power and, and, and he, he's thinking that this Jesus guy must be the real deal. You see, he's moved beyond wanting to be inspired. You see, just a few years ago in Ground Zero, Kurt and Megan do Ground Zero, and they do such a good job. We have such a wonderful team of volunteers. And Wednesday night, you know, Kurt preaches the word every week. You know, one of the criticisms, we've been doing Ground Zero for 15 years, and one of the criticisms in Ground Zero, Kurt would go to school when he was in high school, and the kids would tell him, oh, man, you know, if we had a bunch of games and fun stuff, we'd have a bunch of people at our church too. You know, we'd have a bunch of kids at our youth group too because you've got pool tables and video games and food and a coffee bar and, you know, you have all that. And if we had all that, we'd have kids. One of the criticisms has been in Ground Zero is, oh, we don't do anything but, <clears throat> we don't do anything but play games. And we do play games. But every single week, the Word of God's preached. This last Wednesday, I was right here in this service, sitting right over there in that section, and what Kurt preached he could preach right here this morning. It wasn't watered down. It wasn't kiddified. He laid out truth. You know, it, it, he laid out the meat of the word of God. Well, he was doing that a couple of years ago and he was preaching on sexual sin and he was preaching on living right and, and, and choosing the way you're gonna go. And after the service, they went across the street and some of the teenage boys came up to him and said, hey, man, come on, Kurt. You know, we don't really want to hear this on Wednesday nights. We don't want to hear about sin. We don't want to hear about righteous living. Can you just inspire us, man? We just want to be encouraged and inspired. We don't want to hear that kind of stuff. And they quit coming. And the reason they quit coming is because they were fans. And, and they hadn't decided yet whether they wanted to be followers. And I believe everybody has the chance to do that. That's exactly what Nicodemus is doing. But it's like, you know, I, I just want to hear a good word. I just want to be encouraged. And, and we believe in that, but don't interfere. Now, let me read you the next part of Nicodemus' story. It's in John chapter 7. Uh, Nicodemus, again, now, remember, he's part of this ruling group. Jesus is getting popular, and he's getting so popular, he's causing the religious leaders trouble, and they don't like him, and they want to kill him. And let me read to you what happens. It says, the temple guard, now that's the religious guard that were at the temple, when they returned without having arrested Jesus, the priests and the Pharisees, remember, uh, he's part of that, the priests and the Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? Listen to what they said. We've never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. 
Isn't that amazing? See, Jesus was changing their life. They, you know, remember we talked about faith? They heard the good news from Jesus and it's changing them. Listen to what they said. Have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Have you ever been mocked by anybody? Oh, it's painful. It's painful. They mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they're ignorant of the law and God's curse is on them. Verse 50, then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Oh, now don't miss this. Let me stop right here. Don't miss this now. He's with these religious leaders and there's 72 of them and he's one of them and he's part of this ruling group and he's had this secret meeting with Jesus and he's trying to decide if he's gonna go from being a fan to a follower and the guys at the group say, hey, this Jesus guy's not who he says he is. Does anybody believe in him? And he speaks up. Listen to what he said. It says, Nicodemus spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing, he asked? Now, can you see how he steps out of the shadows? He steps out from being a secret admirer into, now it's gonna cost me something. And they replied, are you from Galilee too? They mocked him. They made fun of him. You dare speak up about Jesus Christ, it's your job. You may get mocked, you may get made fun of. That's exactly what happened to him. Because see, the Bible says nothing good comes from Nazareth. They're saying, hey, nothing powerful's ever come out of Galilee. Listen to the rest of it. Search the scriptures, you idiot. Now that's Rusty's translation. But that's what they said. Search the scripture, you moron, and see for yourself. Nothing, no prophet ever came from Galilee. Oh, my gosh. Well, so much for hanging out in the back, right? Yeah, so, so much for just being a distant admirer. Now all of my friends know my intentions. Any hope of Jesus not interfering in his life is shot down. Now I want to go to one more place. I'm going to go to John 19. Jesus has already been crucified. He's dead. They're going to bury him. He's not raised from the dead yet. And listen to this amazing story. It says, afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who'd been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders. Listen, that's the perfect definition of a fan. Let me read it to you one more time. He was a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders. Asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave him permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. You see the progression? You see how Nicodemus starts out in the shadows and then he dares to speak up at work and when he does, he's instantly mocked and made fun of. They don't say, oh man, you've got something powerful. We want to hear about it. Then the next step he takes is he goes with Joseph of Arimathea and they go by. It says right here that they bought 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloe to, to embalm the body of Jesus. Now listen, that 75 pounds of ointment wasn't cheap. It cost something. And when you bought that much, it made people notice. But listen, Nicodemus' choice costs him more than money. It threatens his position. It threatens his authority. It threatens his power. Now listen, don't misunderstand me. Don't take me wrong on this. 
I've done it too. We spend our whole lives trying to build reputation, and I, I'm, I'm not against that. The Bible says a good name is better than gold. Proverbs says that. And, you, you know, you pay your bills, you do the right thing, and we should do those things. But then that point, that moment's going to come in your life when you're going to have to stand for Jesus, and you're going to have to step out of the shadows, and, and you're going to have to say, hey, I'm not a fan. I'm not a distant admirer. I'm a follower. Jesus has access to my entire heart. He has access to my father finances, to my family, to my marriage, to my kids. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen all overnight. Don't, get, don't, don't misunderstand me. All right, I know this walk is a journey. I know. And I'm on my journey and you're on your journey. But here's all I want you to see this morning. Ask yourself over these next four weeks, I want you to ask yourself where you fit. Okay, am I a fan or am I a follower? Has following Christ ever cost me anything? Has Jesus interfered in my life or do I just kind of keep him at a comfortable distance? And I, I want to maintain this casual w- weekend relationship. And it says what happened to Nicodemus. They put that perfume and that ointment on Jesus and then everybody knew who he was. This is the last mention of him in the New Testament. Uh, I don't know the rest of the story. The Holy Spirit doesn't choose to reveal it. But I love what happened to him. He went from fan, he went from secret admirer, he went from meeting in the dark to speaking up in the Sanhedrin with his religious leaders and his cohorts to, hey, I'm going to help take care of this guy and bury this guy. Now, here's my heart. Here's my heart. Buy the book and read it. You won't be sorry. We'll get some more. But I want you to take an honest look at your life these next four weeks. And I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so grateful that you come. And listen, I'm not up here saying you're a fan and I'm a follower. I'm not doing that. Okay, I already know the Holy Spirit. And you know what he says? That's not your job. So I'm not here measuring you. And I don't want you to measure each other. When you go eat lunch today, please don't do that. Well, honey, I can tell you're a fan, right? I'm a follower. You're a fan, right? No, no, please don't do that to each other, okay? And don't, don't go around this week. You know, I, you, I know, you start your list of fans. Well, they're a fan. Well, my boss, my Lord, he's a fan. He's a fan of the devil's what he is, right? So please don't do that. That's not, what, that's not my heart. That's not where I'm coming from. I'm, you know, one of the things Chuck Pierce told us in the prophecy, I mailed you a letter, is let God work in you this year and don't worry about anybody else. So here's all I want you to do is to take an honest look at your life, an honest look at your own heart. And I want this message to do one thing. I want it to challenge your faith. And I want it to challenge your walk with God. And when we get through this four weeks, you get through with the book, we do the life group, that you and I, you and I are different because of walking with Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, y'all stand up and let's pray.